0: I am a big believer that your idea, and I mean, you, the listener, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. No one no is interested. What matters is, are you solving somebody's somebody else's problem, the customer's problem? That's the only thing that matters. The culture of entrepreneurship is typically, hey, I have an idea. What do you think? Is it going to work? I'm going to mortgage my house. And it's going to work because I believe in it. And I'm going to work really hard. It's all it's, the, the emphasis is very much on the idea, on your business, on your brand, on your logo, on your website. And that's a huge reason why a lot of people fail. Welcome to Building Bigfoot, the podcast
1: about building yourself and your business profitably. I'm excited here. So this is Daniel. He's he's a really cool guy. I've hung out with you a few times. And every time I just I I love hanging out with Daniel. He's he's such a great guy. You got to, you're very smart. You can tell you really think through things, uh, like all the way through. And uh, you're you're just you're just a ton of fun to be around and a ton of integrity. Very cool guy and a very smart business leader. So uh, without further ado, why don't you introduce yourself, what you're building, Pixelu, and uh, yeah, and then we can dive into your story and how you got started.
0: That's a nice intro. Thank you. Well, the, the long, long version is that I'm an immigrant from the former Soviet Union. When I was seven years old, I lived through a war, a civil war back where I was from. Uh, we lived in poverty after the war for a while and then uh, moved to the U- U.S. Uh, in 1996. So a long time ago, I was 11 years old at the time. And yeah, I had to learn a new language as a kid before Google Translate existed. It, uh, was, a, it was a difficult time back then. And in my teen years, I picked up a camera and started to learn how to take photos. and how to eventually uh, photograph weddings and I really pushed hard to be the best version of myself. Uh, Back then I learned on film and eventually transitioned to photography on digital, started to photograph weddings, travel internationally for uh, shooting those weddings, started to teach other photographers, eventually even uh, created a, back then this was popular. Uh, when education was paid for, I uh, created a tutorial DVD that was sold in like 40 different countries. And as I was doing that, a, an acquaintance of mine said, Hey, you have a lot of success in photography. I have a, an idea for a photography app. Why don't I handle the code? You handle the marketing. And that's tw- that was 12, no, that was 13 years ago. And we have worked very, very hard for 13 years. and. As of today, I am a CEO of Pixelu. It's a software company serving photographers. Our team is forty-five people uh, spread around about twenty countries. We're all completely remote, and uh, I have a wife, a two-year-old kid, and I live in Seattle, Washington. That's
1: awesome. So it's it is a journey. I, it's you know I find most people that I've spoken to they have a longer journey than people expect. Cause it's like it's usually the way that it, the media kind of likes to portray it is that there's this, you know, overnight success and um they've probably been doing it for a year and they blew up and they sold four billion dollars and wow, it's incredible. But then if you look at every single entrepreneur, it's actually Steve Jobs who actually said behind every overnight success is a 10 year story. And if you you know look at any entrepreneur, it's like the reality is it's not the same. It's that it takes a while to figure things out. And so for yourself, um, so, so you, you, you built Pixelu, and it is a very cool app. And maybe you could tell people a little bit about what it is and how it works and why uh, photographers love it so much.
0: Sure. So Pixelu is a company and our first app was called Touch Albums. We spent two years trying to launch it. When we launched it, it was a complete failure. We had one customer... Literally one, like <laughs> one customer that paid us like twenty dollars a month. She was very upset when we shut down the app. Uh, and
1: you had you had amazing. Um, what's that score called again? It's like one hundred percent of scores. your users. Yeah, one hundred percent of users at high MPS.
0: <laughs> yeah, she she liked it. She paid for it. Uh, after we failed, we without going into details, we had this other idea that was somewhat related. It was called Smart Albums. Smart Albums is an app that helps photographers design wedding albums. When a, when someone wants to create a wedding al- album, it needs to be designed. The photos need to be laid out. It's quite a tedious process if you do it by, manually through Photoshop. So we saved people many, many hours by automating it. And that was a success. That made our company what it is. When we launched it, we later had requests from other photographers to say, hey, you've done such a great job with Smart Albums. We need more apps. We need this app, like a slideshow app is what we, re- what we released. Then we released uh, another like image delivery app. And so now Pixelu is the company that makes several apps. And um, people love it because we uh, focus on simplicity. We try to make everything as simple as possible so that they can get back to doing the things that they love, which is taking photos and not sitting in front of a computer.
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the big, like, it's one of the hardest things to do. But when you get it right, it makes all the difference. Once a product feels simple and it's easy to use, it it truly is remarkable. Uh, it's funny, like you were saying before, like you 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 moved to uh, the US in '96. I moved to Canada in '93. So we both kind of have that immigration mm-hmm. story. Obviously, I came from South Africa, so as you know. I remember in 1994 when the first World Cup happened where South Africa was a part of it the Rugby World Cup and watching it and just that moment as being, you know, I'm living in Canada, I'm loving my new home. I'm getting to know my new home, I should say. It's freezing cold in uh where we moved <laughs> which is in Saskatchewan. It's like literally it's freezing cold. It's it's so cold. Um but getting to know it and and just watching that uh uh you know, my my country, my home country winning their, their first Rugby World Cup and just like the the moment. And it's funny now because we just had the World Cup again, the Rugby World Cup, and to see South Africa win it for the fourth time, you get that sense of um, that pride. But it it just, I think it really instilled in me that sense of confidence, like, you know, um, no matter what, all things are possible. You know, because that was not like, there's a movie about it, but it was not a likely outcome, right? And, you know, you, you coming from... Uh, you said like you came from the Soviet Union uh, in 96, you moved to the US. What would be some of the takeaways that you experienced as a kid moving from the Soviet Union, seeing what you saw and then uh, translating that to your life in, in America? And how has that influenced you so that you maybe are, are have taken risks or done things differently than you would have otherwise?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, when you see when, um, you know, I lived through a war, a real war. And we were super poor after my parents lost everything. They s- moved to a new country with a new language. Um, and that, I guess, drives seeing, seeing them survive through the hard times, take a risk, move to a completely new country. They, they don't know really anyone. They only knew uh, like one, uh, one couple. Uh, moving, we first moved to the state of California. Then we drove to Washington state because they heard there's work <laughs> there. So it's just this very like, let's go out and do whatever it takes to succeed. Even though the, you know, not knowing the language, not not really knowing anything about the country. So I I, I think, I hope that that's something that instilled in me to do whatever it takes to succeed. I think uh, that's part of it, and I think the other part that is a huge thing is just to remain grateful for everything that I have. Somehow, that's uh, important to have when you're, you know, struggling day in day out trying to build a business. Is to be grateful for what you do have, uh, because um, I am grateful. I uh, moved to a new country and I was able to start a company here. Like, how amazing is that? Looking back. See, uh, realizing that at the age I am now, my parents made the choice to move to a new country, losing everything. That's crazy. Like I, I could not imagine myself picking everything up and just like moving to China or somewhere. Like that, that sounds crazy. But they did it for me, and that's actually one of the reasons that I am building this business is so that at a, hopefully at a later stage that I could I would be able to sell it. For the purpose of helping my parents retire, uh, because I'm the only child in the family and uh, I'm, they don't have any savings or anything like that, so I'm hoping that their risk that they took will pay off and, and that I will be able to help them here.
1: I have I have no doubt that that their risk is going to pay off. or Already has. You kind of like you brought up a lot of thoughts in my mind. Like one of them is is you talked about being grateful, but then also like you brought up the fact that you were in a real war and obviously, you know, it's something we see all the time now. Um, you know, the world is constantly engaging in wars and we have at the time of this recording, there's, um, there's multiple wars going on and, you know, having like you've lived through a war, what was it like from your perspective as a, as a kid being in a war in a conflict and, yeah. Why don't we start there? And then just so like, if someone who's listening is wondering, like, what is that like?
0: Well, I was a kid. It was a while ago, but I still have a lot of memories from it. Well, my parents tell me, they fill in the details of, of how it went. The war was about a year long. We pretty much didn't have any food, water, electricity, gas, heating, nothing for a year. And in order in order for my dad to get water for us, uh, he you know had to ride a bicycle for like 20 minutes of the spring fill up a tank like a little portable tank so that he can bring it back so uh it was it was a tough time uh we've seen i didn't personally see because i was protected by my my uh, family to make sure that i don't to get uh traumatized <laughs> as little as possible but you know death was all around us my dad would go around and like bury people that were killed in the streets. So it was it was a it was a tough time. I um still have a lot of memories as a kid uh s- seeing a lot of like just random nights of of um bombings around our house and everything shaking and the the sky turning blue. So um how was it like? I don't know, it sucked. <laughs> uh but having settled that I, uh, I'm grateful for, to my parents because they have protected me. Somehow, I don't feel like I've been traumatized by the war, even though I should be. And I think it comes back to just having my parents be there with me, for me. And so I, um, I'm i sure as a kid, I was really scared. But in some sense, I'm grateful for what I went through because it, uh, it's taught me to be, again, to be grateful to fight hard for whatever it is that I'm working on.
1: Yeah. I, I think like once you go through any kind of experience like that, it gives you a different sort of perspective. So uh one of the like as a child growing up in South Africa, you know, I remember you just learn like you learn different things. Like when I got dropped off at school, I was taught, I was informed, that if somebody was to take a machine gun and start firing at the school, just because of the kind of conflicts and the things that were going on in South Africa at the time, as a child, the best solution was to lie down flat. If someone was to take out a pistol and to start firing at the school, run as fast as you can, but make sure you run zigzag at and, it. And so it was like, if a grenade was thrown into the classroom, make sure you hide under your desk. And so the, the kind of exposure that I had as a young age, I, I think, while I never was directly in any conflict you know, my dad, he lost his foot in, in war. So I, so I was a, kind of around it as well, but it gives you a different perspective. Like I remember being so shocked when I moved to Canada and there would be a story, a feature about one person had this, like this, this catastrophe or whatever happened in their life, because in South Africa, everything was, it was so big. It was, it was so much that it was like, the feature was always about the country, not, not so much about the individual. And, but I would say that it, it, you know, you talked about that sense of success. Like there's a sense of responsibility to have success. And I would, I totally can relate to that where it's like, I'm so grateful for where I am. I can't believe how fortunate we are. I can't believe how blessed I am. I get to raise my kids here. Mm -hmm. But then that, that sense of responsibility that like, you know, the success is really, it's on me, right? It's like what you were saying. There's no, there's no body coming to save me. That's how I feel. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. As tough as it was, like like back to the war. At the end of the day, no one's gonna save you. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta take care of yourself.
1: Yeah. So then, so going like through the journey of uh, of uh, Pixalu, have you guys have? Did you have many like pivots or challenges along the way that you sort of weren't expecting? And if so, how did you overcome them?
0: I think the biggest pivot is when, uh, like I said, when we launched the first app, we spent um, over two years working on it, and you know back then, was again thirteen years ago, tech wasn't really as developed yet, and it it felt like we just launch any app, we just launch anything It's going to be a success because technology is cool and people are going to see how cool it is and they're going to buy it, but it didn't really solve any problems, and we learned firsthand back then is that if whatever you build is not solving a problem, it doesn't matter how cool it is, it doesn't matter how flashy it is, it doesn't matter what kind of technology you use, it's not gonna take off. And so yeah, it was obviously devastating. You know, when you work on something for over two years, you launch it, nothing happens. Like everyone says, oh, I love it. I this is gonna be a big hit, but no one actually buys. It's really tough. And taking that Failure and back then, probably didn't see it as a failure, but saying, Okay, we're just going to move on to this next thing that we think will succeed. It's um, that that was the biggest pivot for sure. And it was, it it was, um, I, I, (laughs) if someone were to tell me if I wanted to relive that, knowing, even knowing that it's all going to be all right, I probably would say no, (laughs) Uh, because failure is hard. I, somewhat on a tangent, but I was, uh, I'm thinking about uh, entrepreneurs now. We were uh, basically bootstrapped. A, a friend of a family invest like invest a little bit of money, not a lot. But I, I imagine somebody starting a business now, and if you're bootstrapped, man, it is hard and expensive. I I don't envy anyone starting a business right now. There are a lot of people that start businesses, and many of them will be successful. But that's that's basically it. Yeah, the the biggest pivot pro- probably was in the beginning when we had to pivot from the the app that failed. Okay, so you chose
1: to bootstrap your business. Why is that?
0: Why is that? I don't think um, we felt like anybody would give us money. <laughs> just some some somebody with an idea, really. I mean, we weren't really looking. We weren't really looking for money again, other than the angel investor, our family friend. But uh, I guess we just didn't feel like anybody would give us money, so we didn't even try.
1: So then how did you fund yourself to get to the place where you were now viable? We had customers, enough customers generating revenue.
0: We had an uh, angel investor. Uh, it was not a lot of money. It was like around 100K or so that we were working with. And that got us through about two years of uh, time. And it was really like my co-founder and another developer or so. And on the day that we launched the app, that actually ended ended up succeeding, on the day that we launched, we basically had no money left, like zero. So we everything was riding on the app succeeding, and it did. We were able to sell in day. Well, we did. We had a Black Friday sale. We launched on Black Friday, and we sold over a hundred thousand dollars worth on that day. And we had more funding now. And that doesn't happen. Very often. That's, that's very... No, it doesn't happen very often. It was very scary. Very, very scary. So then, how did you get
1: the word out uh, on Black Friday?
0: Um, well, I have, I'm, a, I'm a part of um, photography community groups. And I was part of a... As a photographer, I was part of a group of photographers who were well-known. They had influence. And one of them was connected to a blog for Photography News, and they saw the app. They're like, oh, this would be a cool thing to write about. So they put up an article, and that's where we got a lot of the uh, publicity from.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. So S- Steve and I, we, we started our business. We had uh, initially, we did a raise, so we, we had a bunch of investors. And then as we were building our business, we started to uh, kind of come to a different epiphany which is or realization that we could group like grow the business profitably through like the the best customer validate or the best validation product validation is customer validation so when customers yeah. are using and adopting a product and then they are essentially investing into the product development because right. every new customer we sign up that means we can spend more money on re, like building new features and cool stuff for them and so we realized we're like I think that's our that's our path to financing It's just making sure we're building a really great product that's attracting mm. great customers who are then bringing and inviting other great customers to us and and so, at a certain point, I think this was a couple of years ago we ended up actually buying out all of our original investors and it was this the coolest feeling like we had amazing investors we had a great relationship with all of them, and I'm so grateful for the mentorship that they gave us, but there was a sense of feeling of like oh, this is this is it like this is our company now like we get to really um, forge and invest and make sure we're putting the priority of the customer first and we always had like our, our investors actually had helped us with that but it was, it was a strong sense of um, of accomplishment and I, I think that when you build a product and you and you have that sense of like revenue based like growth through through customer acquisition I think you end up building a much better product and one of the, the realizations I had is I'd go to all these different tech events. So there'd be like pitch events and you have all these different businesses that were were pitching their idea. Very, very few of them, because we started sort of around the same time you guys did, very few of them actually talked about revenue. Most of them had a lot of really cool ideas. Maybe they were building neat stuff, um, but they hadn't actually figured out how to go to market. And then like, but a very few percentage, the ones that had figured out how to actually take a business to market and they they were like building a business, like actually building a business (laughs) Mm -hmm. as opposed to an idea. Um, they were the ones that were, were starting to do really well. And so we're like, Hey, that's so that's the part that we want to really prioritize and focus on for you. Like what's your, like, how, how has your path to growth been since then? Like, is it, through word of mouth? Are you advertising? Like, how are you attracting and building demand today?
0: Yeah, it's been a long journey. It's been ten years. We're celebrating actually ten years of our uh, release of our app. Um, right, basically today uh, is right around ten so years. Cool. We uh, we launched it on Black Friday, like I said, of 2013. Uh, right now, we're in the beginning of December, and. Since then, it was mostly word of mouth. We solved the problem for people like us, photographers, and it it was mostly word of mouth. Obviously, over time, you have to invest into things like your website, your brand, and email marketing, and all sorts of things that help. And but no, nothing was really um, let's like one thing that really solved everything. It was just a combination of things. Some of it was. Other companies in the industry promoted us to their customer base. Some of it was going to physical trade shows and meeting photographers there. Some of it was ads. Some of it was creating uh, videos about stories about photographers who use our software and how they use it. So it was really a little bit of everything. And for a while, we sold, uh, back then, It's Spark Albums is a desktop app, and it was common... For desktop apps, to just be like a one-time fee that you buy and you own the software forever, and we would we would sell it at three hundred dollars per copy, and on sale it would be two hundred dollars. Black Friday, uh, the how we launched, and so uh, you know compared to now, SaaS typical for our user base, typical uh, monthly payment is like twenty bucks a month. So, it would have been harder to launch things now because if you launch a product and you get a bunch of people paying you $20 a month, you need a lot of people to make it a sustainable business. Whereas back then, $200 was more than $20. So, if we, you know, so let's say sold a thousand copies of the software, then you're looking at 200,000 that you can work with all of a sudden. And um, that helped us a lot because That allowed us to continue to invest into development and then continue to invest into hiring more people, marketing, etc. And then eventually, many years later, we switched everything to subscription-based. And even then, it was tough because, again, it's hard to go from getting a a lot of money up front to getting a little bit every month. But ultimately, it, it was the right move. So I guess back to your question how did we how did we grow it uh it's really a little bit of everything there's not like really one trick that made it an overnight success it's just little by little little by little little by little
1: it's interesting um <laughs> i think you're right i think it is harder to build a business starting today and because you kind of need to start with the um you know We didn't know what we didn't know when we started. So we actually started with a $15 a month account, no upfront fees, no contracts, no nothing. And we just never did the math. Like how many customers will we need to sign up to be able to run a business? Cause, uh, when you think about your overhead of a, of a startup, it's so much higher. Like as a tech company, than I think most people realize because you have, you've got your development team and, and they're, they're smart and they're expensive. You have your um you got your product team, they're smart, they're expensive. You have to think about your UX, your design, your um customer like support, your interface with like you you got a community, so you're running events, you have a team, you got sales, you got marketing. Like when you actually put it all inside, like it's it's a lot. And it's hard to fund it on fifteen dollars a month when you're starting out. Yeah. And so you need that sort of path to um to get to that level. And it's like what you said, like having an upfront cost really or amount really does make it possible. But then if you, you know, but then as you're, as you're growing your business, you get to the place where, um, so as you're, as you've been reinvesting in your product, have you got to the, like, are you, do you have different tiers of products now, or do you have just the one for sort of 20 bucks a month?
0: To answer that question, uh, we have multiple products each having tiers. And then we have an all apps bundle that photographers can buy. You have access to all of the, all of the products. And they can pay for a year. They can pay for a month.
1: Okay. So, so that's, I I love the, like how cool it is that it's 10 years, 10 year anniversary this year. So Mm -hmm. on that theme or that note, what would be some of the things that you've experienced over these 10 years that were unexpected blessings or things that you encountered that you didn't know, like you didn't foresee, but you're like, oh, that was so cool.
0: Mm. I I think um, the first thing that comes to mind is just working with amazing people and meeting amazing people all over the world. Our team is, like I said, of 45. Pretty much everybody's outside the States. And every I mean, everywhere from Brazil to New Zealand to... France, all over the place, and how technology brought us together. It's, it's just really crazy. Like hiring remotely, it's just it's just a weird thing. It's like dating, but you know, it's, it's work. You're working together, people on the other side of the world trying to achieve something together. That's probably been the, the wildest part of, of this journey.
1: Totally. And then you have that shared mission and that sense of accomplishment together when you cross that line. It's such a cool feeling.
0: Yeah, it's been really cool. I, uh, my wife and I, we were traveling for some time and working at the same time. And we got to meet people uh, that work for the company uh, with us. And it's been a really cool experience, like somebody you see on Zoom and all of a sudden they appear in front of you as a human being. And you're like, that's weird. <laughs> I only know you as a thing on, on the screen. <laughs> Yeah, and to comment to comment back on what you said about uh, starting a business now, how much more difficult it is. Uh, obviously, this is not to say that nobody should start businesses. Of course, not. No, absolutely not. But if you have an idea, yeah, go yeah. run with it. Yeah, go sell your house. No, just kidding. <laughs> but if like, I think most people don't realize how expensive uh, it is. I uh, I did like a rough estimate of a of a U.S. based team, a product team. So we're talking about like a few engineers, a few a couple QA, a product manager, a designer, how much that would cost, and basically it comes out to about a hundred thousand a month, just like a typical product team. So if you want to build a product, it doesn't mean that you need to have everybody all at once. you could probably start with one developer. that's true. But like ultimately, you'd want a full team, and a full team is about 100k a month, which is a lot of money. If you need to, say, make the product and it's going to take you, let's say, six months and you're hoping for revenue, you may not get it at the end of six months. You're just hoping for it. It means that 600,000 is going to be invested with the hope something will come out of it. So it's very, very expensive, scary. And yeah, that's definitely getting getting uh, investors is definitely a, a reason to do that because if you uh, think, oh, I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to invest everything that I have into this idea that I have. Boy, that's scary. It is.
1: And, you know, but I would maybe talk about some of the things that for yourself offset some of that risk. Like, so it is it is a big risk and it is scary. But, But what, like knowing what you know today, if you were to start a business tomorrow, yeah, how would you approach that? Like, what would be some of the things that would offset that risk?
0: Uh, don't hire people from the U.S. <laughs> if you <laughs> if you are willing to work... There are a lot of incredible people in the world. And U.S. prices are... As the standard of living, they're higher. And so I would, I would hire somebody from outside the U.S. There are a lot of people that speak amazing English, have amazing skills. Uh, I definitely get investors. I wouldn't fund it myself, especially if I didn't really have the money. I would not have a bunch of relatives give me money. I mean, it's just uh, the, the, the chances of, of losing are high. So you definitely should try. But I would not put my family at risk. I wouldn't put uh, my friends at risk. Um, and I would try to go as frugal as possible. Hire somebody from outside the States. I mean, there's a gazillion ways of doing it. You can hire contractors. You can hire, you can just post an ad on international remote uh, remote uh, working websites and you will get, like right now when we hire for not a dev- not a developer role but for something entry level like a customer support role we post an ad, we're going to get like 2,000 applicants in the first week and so there are a lot of really amazing people that want to work with you around the world but of course that takes wi- that takes mm, some courage to do that, because I know a lot of people are really against it. They, they just they want to come in their comfortable office and they want to see the person they're working with. Uh, but that also comes with uh, the fact that it's very expensive to do that. So if we're trying to save money, definitely go the route of remote. Get investors. If you don't follow, don't do what I did. And uh, yeah, how would you approach the idea itself?
1: Um, would like would you? Build it out and then test it in the market, or would you pre sell it? Like, what would, what would, what's your thinking there?
0: Oh, man, I can talk about this for a long, long time. I am a big believer that your idea, and I mean, you, the listener, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. No one, no one is interested. What matters is. Are you solving somebody's, somebody else's problem, the customer's problem? That's the only thing that matters. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if it's because of Shark Tank or, or Steve Jobs or, or what, but the culture of entrepreneurship is typically, Hey, I have an idea. What do you think? Is it going to work? I'm going to mortgage my house and it's going to work because I believe in it. And I'm going to work really hard. It's all, it's the the emphasis is very much on the idea, on your business, on your brand, on your logo, on your website. And that's a huge reason why a lot of people fail. The emphasis, all of the emphasis needs to be on the customer's problem. So if your idea is, is, uh, is, if the beginning of your idea is the thing that you need to build, that's a really bad start. It needs to be about the beginning. Needs to be a somebody somebody's problem. Then you can think about how to solve that problem. And if you have investors, you can you can um, of course build it and see if it if you're right if your idea will solve somebody else's problem. But more so, more importantly, is for you to. Spend time with the customers. Ask them a lot of questions about their problem. Ask them a lot of questions about how they solve their problem currently. What they do to go around that problem. Uh, What did they do right before they addressed this problem? Right after. Have they tried to solve their problem by googling a solution? All of those questions need to be answered, because building. Let's let's say that I have an idea. Let's say that I think taxes. Uh no, 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 let's say that I just uh, hopefully a relatable example is uh, opening a restaurant and let's say I have a crazy idea for a restaurant that will be, I don't know, everything inside will be made out of octopus because it's cool and I have this theme and I have these like the chairs will be like this beautiful color and like you have this thing, right? But unless somebody in there cares about it, no one's going to be at your restaurant, no matter how cool the idea is, no matter how inventive and and fancy and no matter how fancy your menu is and what paper you printed it on, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is is someone interested in eating that food and um, that's where the, the the time needs to go to to understand the customer and their problem and their preferences, not what your idea is
1: i think you know i think those are really good points like if anyone's listening make sure you took notes and rewind because you 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 said so many really good points and i think the problem is kind of twofold it's like there's the um difference between continual in uh, or continual improvement versus innovation and the difference between a like what the customers trying to do versus a new behavior. So if 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 like anybody brings out something that requires a brand new behavior, like new habits to form, it's just not going to work because um you can think about the restaurant example. Let's say Everybody's going to restaurants and they love the whole fast food dynamic. But you're like, oh, but I want to reimagine restaurants. I want to put a restaurant in the middle of a round, like a roundabout, and people are going to walk through a tunnel, and it's going to be like, you know, maybe you're going to walk through an aquarium-like experience. There's going to be octopuses around it, and then they're going to go through. It's like you're you're trying to reimagine the restaurant experience, but by doing it, you're trying to recreate the entire behavior of a person where they would normally drive to a location. You know, like they don't want to sit in the middle of a roundabout. And as cool as it might be to you, the question is, is are people trying to achieve that? Are they already trying to do that? Whereas if you find find out what a problem is that they're already trying to solve themselves, that you're finding a behavior that they're already on. And it's like, how do I streamline that or make it so that they can achieve what they're trying to do easier with their existing habits and behaviors? And then the other side is, I'd say the difference between innovation versus continual improvement is that people often think of... um, They they want to come up with something novel, which is good, but what they need to be doing is because they don't want to just like come up with something that's continual improvement. And the example of this would be um, so you got uh, a mountain bike, you got Shimano and you got SRAM gears. Basically, you can buy one of those two, and uh, Shimano was the market leader, so like they they were dominant everywhere. But SRAM, what they realized is that in order for them to compete with Shimano. Because Shimano was the name that everybody already knew, like if you went to a bike shop, you went to a bike manufacturer, they were just going to pick the one that they knew that, you know, worked really well, like it's a well-known brand. They needed to be an innovation beyond Shimano. And it was hard because just trying to create a gear that was as good as Shimano was hard. And so... What Shema, uh, what SRAM ended up doing is they 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 thought about the gearing. They didn't change the gearing in the sense that they're like um, people are still pedaling the bicycle. They still need to shift the gears. But what they did is they rethought the entire thing. They said, "What if we could get rid of?" Because at that time there was three um, there were three chain rings in the front, and they're like, "What if we can make that one chain ring?" And what if on the back, instead of there being 10 or whatever it was, what if we could make 13? So you end up getting the same ratios, but with one. And that one change was hard to do. It took them a long time to do, but that innovation was great enough that the market adopted it. But the key is, is that nobody was saying that that was what they wanted, but every mountain bike in the world now uses that because of the fact that it eliminates the three three rings in the front and you can protect it easier. So you only have one one ring. It's just, it's a way better system for mountain biking. But the key is, is that they thought outside the box, which is, what's the customer trying to do? What's the end user actually trying to do? And how can we make that experience not just like an, like an incremental improvement, but an innovational improvement beyond it? And so, and so I think that's where the mistake comes is people like they, they think, okay, I've got this brand new idea, but it's a change of behavior idea. It's so new that um, that doesn't work. Even Facebook. You know, you might say, "Well, Facebook created something that was a new behavior." Yeah, but they figured out that college students were already trying to search people's faces, and so then they were like, "What if we give them an environment where they could do it?" Like they were using MySpace. What if we made a tool that was just about searching people by their face? And um, and that and that worked really well, and it got that adoption. So, uh, but you 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 shared so much more points in there. I think that's really fascinating. So now, um, ten years, a decade, has gone by. You've you know, you're probably like, if you could take all that you know today and bring it back 10 years ago, how much further do you think you would be ahead?
0: Oh man, so much further. So many books that I wish I've read before starting, but that's this reality that you can't, you have to start where you are. Um, But but, um, yeah, of course, uh, that's the reason that when, if someone exits their company, uh their first company then the second company they can get funding super easy they can like hire way easier because they have a proven record because all of the things that you learn how to manage people how to hire and fire how to figure out what features to build and not to build gosh that's a tough <laughs> that's the, like the toughest thing ever um how to i don't know just how to be disciplined day in day out how to uh manage Money and just just all these things that, man, I, I, of course, I wish I knew that um, long ago. But then, on the other hand, the only way to learn it, to really learn it, is not to read it in a book. Because reading it in a book is, um, it doesn't have that same impact as when you have to get through it yourself, like hiring somebody and then making a mistake. And then later realizing what that mistake was, it's way more impactful than having to read it in a book, even if it's described uh, well. Uh, but that's the dilemma: is that at the end of the day, in order to learn, you have to start. You you have to start, and you have to just go through it. And yeah, you're are you you're a are you mistakes. a
1: kinesthetic learner? Um, like you learn by
0: doing? No, I do read a lot too. Uh, my, my degree is in uh, philosophy and math, out of all things. Um, but, but nothing teaches better than experience, even even, if I, even though I love books.
1: What, what I find is like reading will sometimes give me language that I didn't have available before to describe the situation that I'm going through, which I find very helpful. Or um, if I am chewing on something, and I'm trying to like I'm figuring out this problem. Sometimes reading will fast forward, or it'll almost like give me clarity. It's like a like it's like a light bulb opens, and I'm like, oh, that's such an powerful insight. I can apply that. Hacking Growth by I think it was Sean Ellis was it? I don't remember who it was by, but he that book was very insightful for me as well uh, in many regards because it's all like product led growth motion, but it's it was it was very helpful. There was so many problems that I was trying to solve at that time and reading that book kind of fast forwarded I think some of the things I was learning but I'm same as you I'm very much like um if you just read it but you don't apply it it doesn't become knowledge but if you apply it and you go through the journey or you you simply are you know you you get these these insights that you never like I I find like um so Steve's even mentioned this like my brother um business partner he's he said that like man if i wasn't building a business he's like i would have to be get into like involved in church or something to have the amount of personal development and growth that comes out of business like being in a business is a very very um rewarding um and it's also very challenging and so that that kind of challenge reward goes together in in a really cool way like you do you do grow a lot as a person and you face a lot of things now if you were to fast forward 10 years uh from where you are right now and what you're doing what do you imagine pixaloo is 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 solving and 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 like where are you going
0: yeah well 10 years man it's hard to predict what's going to be in 1 year where i want to be i think primarily i want to be the leader a changed person that has the capabilities of leading hundreds of people has the capabilities of building something that millions of people use. But at the end of the day, that to get there, to get to leading lots of people, to get to serve um, many customers, it ultimately comes back to me being having that growth. I'm a big believer that the, your, the ceiling of your business, the ceiling of your family, the ceiling of your life uh, ultimately comes back to you. How... Everything about you, your discipline, your kindness, your leadership, your communication, all of it. And um, I primarily, I, I, in 10 years, I, I'd love to be a better version of myself, a better communicator, in better health, more kind, more disciplined, um, all of those things.
1: That is very inspiring. I, uh, yeah, that's very, very inspiring. If you were to meet yourself 10 years ago, Mm-hmm. What would you say to yourself then that you know now that you wish you knew then?
0: It's, uh, it's tough because, again, uh, I could say many things, but to communicate the weight of, my le- of the lessons would be impossible. So I'd probably tell my younger self to read because I, back then I just didn't read. I've, I've learned a lot through books in the last few years and they've been really impactful. Again everything from hiring to to strategy to product stuff and unfortunately back then you know the most I'd ever read would be like two books a year if that and uh, I wish I read more
1: what's one of your favorite uh being that you're a philosophy major what what's one of your favorite uh books on philosophy that you've read
0: oh man so um i one of the latest latest one that I read is on uh what's the modern Philosophy that everybody loves in tech, uh, stoicism. Um, I read, yeah, I read uh, the obstacle is the way. That's this pretty decent book. It's just basically about how things are gonna get hard, not because that's an exception, because that's just life. Especially if you're in business, like the, the obstacle, the hard. Life that is the life that you will have to live. And that's true for everybody, whether you're in business or not. Life is hard. Life is suffering in many ways. And when you realize this and when you accept it, it becomes uh, less burdensome. You have less anxiety over it.
1: Yeah, it's like nothing's wrong. This is this is like it's not wrong that that it that it feels this way. It's it's just it's part of the journey. And there's another approach, uh, thinking on this that I absolutely loved. I le- went to many years ago. I went to um, a random session. There was this guy, and he was the very first Canadian to summit a mountain. It wasn't Mount Everest, but it was in um, it was in the region, and is a much more technical um, ascent. And one of the Sherpas that was there, I don't know if that's the right word to use anymore, but like one of the their guides that was that was a part of it, he was always smiling. And so this guy says, like, why, why are you always smiling? And he's like, what do you mean? It's like, We're in the mountains, like this beautiful, like this is good. He's like, Yeah, but like this is challenging. And the guy says, No, it's easy. And uh and they're 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 having to like ascend up these very, very tricky, icy, rocky sections. And you're harnessed up and you don't want to fall. You're carrying a lot of weight. Um, it's hard to breathe. The oxygen's thin up there. And there's, gets this section where it's really dangerous and really technical. And the guy thinks to himself, he says, surely now, surely now my guide is not going to be smiling. And the guide smiles and turns around. And, and he's like, Like, how, like, how are you smiling? Like, like it's, you know, and the guy says, well, it's easy. And it's like, what do you mean it's easy? Like, this is the most, he's like, it's just one step at a time. It's easy. And I I think like, when you realize that, that there, like life is is an obstacle, like there's a mountain to climb, but then you, you begin to truly enjoy the climb for what it is. And you realize it is easy. It's just one step at a time. And sometimes we overcomplicate it or we think we make it out for something it isn't. And it actually gets easy and it gets fun. And so like one of my favorite things now is just like whenever we face a big challenge um, or well, it became one of my favorite things to do is like whenever someone said like, how hard is this or how how challenging? I'd be like, no, it's gonna be easy. As long as we break it down into the small parts, it's actually gonna be very easy and we're gonna overcome this and it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, Stoicism is is such an interesting philosophy in and of itself. I think there's a lot of wisdom in Stoicism. Have you ever read the book, um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? It's not really a philosophy book, but it kind of is. It's, um, well, I guess it is. It's, it's a basically a story about a guy and his son on a motorcycle. And, um, as they're riding, they're riding this very old, um, BMW and he has to maintain it as they go. And so he's applying and it's, I learned a lot from there as well, just as you're building a business is just, it's like how the approach to solving the problem is as important as the problem that you're facing. And he was always coming to a place of Zen. Like he was always getting to a place where he was at sort of um, like he he was very calm in his approach, his methodical. And you you, you capture that because you're reading it, so you get the tone of the of the way it's written. And I found that was very like a, an enlightening approach to solving problems too, versus being frustrated or <laughs> which can arise. Um, so for Pixaloo. So you're serving the the photographer are you serving videographers as well?
0: No, just professional photographers.
1: Professional photographers. And what's like you said that you've got like you're you're kind of like in feature development. Like do you have any new exciting features that you're working on right now that you can share or like what what what's what's most exciting to you right now that you're you're kind of
0: most exciting. Um well uh <laughs> for a while we've had a lot of trouble um releasing features at all, tech debt, other problems, all just all sorts of problems. Uh, I, I'm sure you can relate to this sometimes, something that oh, yeah. you think will take you two months, takes you two years, and you're not sure why. <laughs> so for a while, it's been really solving that, like, what is wrong? Why are we not releasing, excuse me, why are we not releasing features? Who's fault is is this? Is this my fault? Is this manager's fault? Is this developer? Is this the technology we chose? And figuring out how do we ship continuously? Like every few months we got something out. Every few months, every few weeks we got something out. So honestly right now, it's, it's not really about any specific feature, just the fact that we're on the back end of this troubleshooting, finding ways to figure out how to continuously ship that's, that's been the most exciting thing, honestly.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a never ending thing. And and so in a development team, like the developers have to be passionate about improvement and they have to be, they also have to be really passionate about like the vision and the mission because it is hard, right? like when you're when you're a developer or an engineer you're solving a problem you you've got two you've got two mountains that you're facing you got the mountain ahead of you, which is like let's get this feature out but then you have the mountain which is also maintaining and improving and and documenting and all of those other challenges that come alongside of like as you uh, you have a growing code base and a developer needs to be passionate about like let's make sure we get this feature out but at the same time passionate about the actual um, environment that they're working on and, and knowing that it's, it's their like place and it's important for them to be their place to think about how they can make it better and improve it. And sometimes that's a stretch because it's like, well, not only am I, you know, I got to get this other thing done, I got to get these. It, um, so you got to stretch a little bit so that you can get it all done. Um, that's, just, that's just normal. That's business as normal in tech.
0: Yeah, like they say, um, software is uh, always 80% done.
1: Yes, yes. So Daniel, I so appreciate you. Is there anything that you want to share, um, just real quick, to anyone listening that you, you feel like this is a takeaway or, or anything that you've got, um, yeah, for them?
0: Yeah. Um, speaking of reading and books, uh, one of my uh, recent favorites was uh, "Jobs to Be Done" playbook. Excellent book. Anybody's running or starting a business, highly recommend it. it it's really going to help you um, clarify. On what to do next with your product.
1: That's so good. Okay. Well, man, appreciate your time. This has been such a good. I uh, I'm excited. I'm going to have you on again. Part of this is like as much as it is like this interview. I want to interview you a year from now and and again, <laughs> just because it's like it's like a journey, right? Like right, right. life is a journey, and so I'm excited to see as it goes. And congrats on 10 years. That's a huge milestone. And I hope you're throwing a big you. party.
0: Thank you so much. And
1: uh, how incredible that is. Cool, man.
0: Thank you. Have a good rest of your day as well.